Well, welcome back, girlfriends. This is Karen Welton. And today I have a very special treat for you. I am interviewing my husband, Jonathan Welton on the Her Sacred Sexuality podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, hey, it's me. Special treat here. Woohoo! So we are going to get into a fun topic today on how men don't really need sex. And I think we I want to start off with a little bit of an introduction just because our listeners already know so much about you and us and our relationship. So I just want to say thank you to you. And not only just come on, but support me, support Bethany. And um, your support has meant so much, even though it has felt scary at times and nerve wracking. Like, what are we going to share? Is this okay? Where do we draw those boundaries? And what are we keeping private? And we've really had to like walk through that journey together. And we've definitely hit some roadblocks. (laughs) But ultimately, you have been so supportive of this journey for me. And so I just want to, first of all, I felt like I needed to say that and acknowledge that publicly. Thanks, babe. I appreciate it. Yeah. It it hasn't been like, yeah, rah, rah, go for it. A hundred percent of the time, you know, to be honest, there's hundred percent honesty, (laughs) a hundred percent of the time. There's been bumps here and there where I think the first, uh, the first handful of episodes, I was just completely go for it. Like this sounds great. And I love Seeing the dynamic with you and Bethany, especially you're you're both um, similar, but you also have different perspectives, different backgrounds, and can really bring uh, some some back and forth. That's really fun. And somewhere around episode eight or nine, somewhere in there, man, there was some things that you shared that just got me really like, oh wow, this is this is I'm an introvert. I've had most of my life as a public speaker and ministry and author and traveling around the world, 35 countries and all this stuff, like 200,000 books out there. Like I've been in the public, but I've had, you know, very small private life and sex has been part of that small private life. And to have certain things put out there, you know, Jonathan likes this or that. I think it was the foreplay episode. I was trying to think back specifically and yeah, i was trying to remember that too yeah specifics i was like oh i don't like that I, and then i actually called bethany talk, talked with her and she was with another friend uh that's a mutual friend and that third party it was really helpful because she could give some input from more of a listener perspective and uh she was just sharing how for her my willingness to sacrifice a little bit of my privacy and how much it can actually help other people. And that, that was always kind of my approach when it came to public speaking, which I felt like this, this was my choice. I'm choosing to get out in front of people, even though I don't want to, but it will help people. And I'm not the kind of person that wants to be up in front of everybody, um, but I choose to, to help people. And in the same way, I'm being stretched and uh, to think, okay, if I can help, if I can help people, and I, I typically nowadays I spend most of my time working with men. I went from public ministry to crashing public ministry. Um, the pastor who walked with us said, "You know, Jonathan's explosion was seen from outer space," and uh, it was. It was spectacular. And so that was in September of 2018. And I've spent the last five years off the road. But during that journey, I came across the bulletproof husband. And 
uh, three years ago and went through a massive transformation in my own masculinity. And that process has led me to a lot of different perspectives and some of what I want to share today with your your listeners, because I've been listening as well. I'm one of your listeners, and uh, I have a very different perspective on certain topics, and not different than you, but different than different than most Christians and different than most of what's out there on certain topics. And so, you know, we've been chatting about it behind the scenes. And I thought, you know what, how about I just come on and throw, throw a crazy topic out there. So the name of our episode today is men don't need sex. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And I just want to give a little intro to, I know you kind of shared a short synopsis of our life. And for those who are listening new to this episode, I shared our whole story back um, the third episode, I believe it was. So you can go back and hear that. And then at some point, if I can twist his arm, Jonathan may show up and tell his side of the story. (laughs) So if you're interested in that, DM us and let us know. I will pass those along to him. But uh, this, yeah, this episode is going to be about that topic and on men don't need sex. And I want to also just honor you and say like that you are a PhD theologian and you've written 11, 12 books, 13. When Bulletproof book comes out, it'll be 15. It'll be so, 15 books. So yeah. this is a very intelligent, he is brilliant man right here <laughs> that we are talking to. And um, he has always had very controversial views and views that go against the grain of a lot of Christian culture. And if you tuned into our last episode, you know that we have, we Bethany and I really hammered the topics of what the the traditional like classic books in Christian culture have to say about sex and relationships. And let me tell you guys, it's pathetic. It was just dis- even disturbing. So there is a lot of toxic teaching in the Christian church and from from, you know, Christian leaders about sex and relationships. And so that's why I wanted to have my husband on here as a brilliant theologian and author and writer and speaker and someone who is really brilliant at taking really complex biblical topics and making them simple and easy to understand and clearing up truths in a way that just like simply set people free, both men and women, because we have so distorted many of these scriptures, especially the scriptures that talk about marriage and sex. And a lot of that has been misconstrued. So Jonathan, tell us, why you think men don't need sex? Well, you got into a lot of topics in the last podcast as you talked about the Christian background and the different concepts. I know you talked about narcissism and you talked about a lot of different things, but there was specifically one concept that I wanted to zero in on. And it's it's a common thought that most people have never even questioned whether it's real or not the concept that men need sex. I hear men say it all the time. I hear women say, I need, I know I need to meet his needs. I need to take care of his needs, but I don't feel- It's a woman's duty. Duty, yep, obligation. There's a lot of words that get thrown around, but to actually challenge that fundamental foundation and step back from it and say, wait, 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 what are we saying by the word need? 
the foundation of you, you did several episodes on the purity culture mm -hmm. and a lot of it comes from the foundation of believing that men need sex and then women have this duty or obligation. And it leads to a lot of this toxic back and forth where women are dancing around and maneuvering and, and having to deal with the fact that men have this need. Yeah. It's that men need sex and that men need respect right? That's the common like teaching of love and respect. That was a classic back then. And then women need love. So it's like, okay, the woman, the advice is always just love your or respect your husband more and have more sex. And that'll solve all your marriage problems. <laughs> or if you submit more and fulfill your duty, he won't have an affair. And so we talked about a lot of these lies in the last episode. So make sure you listen to that. And Sheila Gregoire does a great job of really exposing those lies in her book, The Great Sex Rescue. And her approach to it is kind of like both men and women need love and respect and sex. And it's just kind of a fundamental need. What's your take on that? So I remember probably two years ago, um, our now 10-year-old, but at the time, eight-year-old was coming home from school with uh, some homework that just talked about needs and wants. And she had to cut and paste these different things. What goes in the category of a need? What goes in the category of a want? And so it had food and that would go in the need. It had water. It had shelter. Those go in the needs category. And you had wants like cake and a dog or a cat. Like it had wants. And, you know, this is, of course, like second grade level, of course, Sex was not categorized here. You know, it was public school, but that wasn't on the list. But <laughs> it is, maybe it is now. <laughs> so, you know, I'll leave my politics out, out of this. But uh, <laughs> at the time, though, it was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We have needs, our food, water, shelter. And people put things in that category that don't belong in that category. Yeah. If I said I need alcohol... I'm an alcoholic. Mm. If I want alcohol, okay, I'm having a nice Friday night watching a movie with my wife. If I say I need to go to the casino and win back $500 I lost last week, I have a gambling problem. An if I say, I'm gonna, yeah, it's an addiction. I'm going to take $100 and go to a casino with my friends and it's okay if I lose it. I have no attachment. It's okay. This is part of my entertainment fund. Great. That's a want. It's fun. It's fine. So where did we get this idea that sex is a need? When you move something from a want to a need, you're actually dealing with addiction. You're moving wow. something into the wrong category. And it now it controls you. Now, you need water, you will die. You you go, you know, three days yeah, without yeah, water, yeah. you will die. You go, you know, X number of days without food, you will starve. You stay in Rochester, New York without a house, you will freeze to death. Like, you know, there's certain things that are just true. Or oh. South Carolina without a house, you'll melt. But, you know, there's there's these realities that these are needs. They are life and death. Sex is not a need in in that term. And yet we treat it in our whole culture like an addiction. And we do put certain people in a category and say, well, you're a sex addict because you actually believe that you need it at a higher level. But then we talk to everybody, like everybody needs it. So wow. we're actually, it's like, okay, everybody's an addict, but if you really act out on that belief, then we categorize you as an addict. 
That is such a good point. And if you think about it, like the way we talk to young men, like single men, it's like, you just have to manage this. Like there's an expectation of like, don't watch porn. That's bad for you. Like, and rightfully so. And you have to manage your sexual appetite. But what then when you get married, well, you have a sexual need that your wife has to fulfill. And it goes from like this thing that you are responsible for managing. And then now you're married and it's almost like they divert the responsibilities to the wife to then meet this, your, your husband's sexual need. And finally he can get this release, but it's such a twisted way to think of it rather than keeping the responsibility on the man to say like, okay, this is not a need, but we've convinced a generation of men, multiple generations, that this is a met, uh, a, a need. And then if it's not met, there's like this victim mentality and this blame shifting that happens from men. And I think that's the energy and the and the perspective that a lot of these classic Christian books have been written out of. Yes, uh, for sure. We're talking about, you know, middle-aged white men writing with an undercurrent of anger that are trying to apply Bible verses to get their needs met or maybe help the next generation get what they didn't get in their marriage and they're writing from this frustration. Yeah, so I think one of the and this could just be my projection based on what I've come across from, from these books and this, the tone that comes through them is that these men are frustrated, they're angry, and they are trying to tell the next generation what to do and how to avoid their years of frustration and anger with their wife and women. And how, you know, if you can control in this way with these clobber verses, you can get what you want out of the relationship. And what they didn't learn is actually how to lead your wife into the place where you can get your wants and desires met, but instead they treated them like needs, which created a lot of control and demand. But it's so much, I believe it's so much more fulfilling for a man when he can actually lead his wife to a place that she, out of her free will, wants to meet your wants and desires that for a man actually feels way more satisfying and fulfilling rather than, well, my wife is very well controlled. She obeys these verses and she does what I need and she takes <laughs> care of my needs and her wifely duties. That that sounds depressing. That That's not, uh, I don't think that's the goal here. But yeah, that's that's like a master and a slave, not a <laughs> intimate loving relationship. <laughs> she's a good slave. Like, no, no, that wasn't the goal. <laughs> so I guess I'm not a very controlled or <laughs> dutiful, submissive wife. <laughs> and, and that's what I learned, you know, like this is how to be a good wife. But that doesn't work when you're in a relationship with someone like you who was very manipulative and controlling up until five years, four, four or five years ago, you know, the whole submissive wife thing doesn't work. In fact, one of our counselors said, you've done, you've done a good job being the good wife. Now it's time to basically kick him in the balls and put the boundary down. <laughs> this was a very well-known Christian speaker who told me this, that made me realize you're absolutely right. I, it's time to wear a different hat right now. And so I, but I think that there's a, well, let me let me, clar let me clarify something. So, what one of the sad things that's come out of the the anger at the purity culture concept 
the anti-purity culture anger that's out there, uh, especially in, uh, you know, 30 something year old women right now, this anger has this anger toward the word submission. Now we'll talk about, we, we talked about maybe having a whole episode on that. Maybe that's a you and Bethany thing. Maybe I'll help or something. But one clarification is the difference between submission and obedience. And what people have done is they've talked about submission. Wives, you need to submit. And they're actually using it in a way of you need to obey. There's mm. these verses, there's these duties, do your job, obey yeah. this. Bill Johnson has a great quote where he talks about like a little child. When you're training a child, you you have you can have them be sitting down and obeying you. Like Johnny, sit in the chair. They sit in the chair out of obedience, or they can sit in the chair out of a submissive heart. They hear you, they love you, they want to do what you're you're directing them to as the parent. That's a submissive heart. Now, I'm not talking parent-child relationship here, but there's something about a man, a husband, when he's leading in his masculine power, not from a controlling, toxic, little, narcissistic jackass, but when he's in his masculine power, there's a natural response of wanting to submit. And I'll say, even as a man, like <clears throat> when I get around a black belt when I'm at martial arts, I want to submit because I know he's way better than me. When I get around somebody who's way smarter, I want to naturally submit. There's a coming under that recognizes you're you're the leader. I'm the follower in this in this thing. You're the leader of the relationship. I'm the manager, and that dynamic it carries over in a healthy dynamic between the masculine and feminine. So when you're trying to make the feminine obey, you're going into toxic realms of control and authoritarianism. When you're leading in the masculine in such a way that's healthy and powerful, <clears throat> the feminine will naturally want to submit. Like, yeah, that right there, I love that. I'm attracted to that. I want to submit to that. There is a dynamic that's polarity, that's positive between the masculine and feminine, that submission is not a dirty word. It's not a bad word. It's not a controlling evil word. Mm -hmm. It's a natural reaction mm. to masculine. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I think men, <clears throat> I think women really want strong, confident, masculine men, even if we're hurt by it or we're feel self-protective, like what we don't want Nambi Pambi, like push over men. That's not hot. That's not attractive. We want to follow a strong lead and not in a control over kind of way, but a, but a, uh, an honoring, empowering, like, yes, I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to support your leadership. I'm going to trust your leadership and that you are here and your role is to protect me and my family. And you're going to lead and you're going to take the bullets for us. But it's a very different way than a way it's been applied and in a way that it's been used against women in, in many contexts. Well, based off the concept of the masculine and feminine and submission and all of that being a it can be a positive if it's done right versus an oppression when it's done wrong. Um, but, you know, stepping back, the, the whole foundation, the concept of sex being a need. See, needs, another thing about needs that's important to recognize is when you have a need, you have that need for your whole life. When you're born, you need to start drinking water. You need to start, you know, well, you're drinking milk, of course, but you need to have food and nourishment and you need to have shelter from day one. Does an infant boy need sex? 
No. Does a 10-year-old boy need sex? No. Does a 16-year-old boy need sex? No. Does a 45-year-old man need sex? No. There's no switch that flips on at certain age. Now he needs this. And that we're actually teaching something that makes men pathetic. I mean, I, the undercurrent of that is you're pathetic if you think you need sex, like food and water and shelter and sex. Oh, no, you don't need that. You can want it. You can want it a lot. Men do want it a lot. With 17 times the testosterone flowing through a man than there is flowing through a woman, we do want it. You know, the, the official study says that there's uh, 19 times a day that a man thinks about sex. And that's inside the box of men not being honest to give you the real number. And I would have guessed hundreds or thousands. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm like, well, I thought, are you sure it's not every 19 seconds? <laughs> there's, there's some that say every seven seconds, you know, but the study that's done by the colleges said it was okay. times a day. And I'm like, that's every 40 minutes. And with a refractory period after you go off, I suppose, maybe, I don't know, but, <laughs> but that's different. <laughs> But I figure, you know, it's probably gone up since they did that study too, because of social media and all the thirst traps and everything else that's out there. Like this is this men are aware of this all the time. And it's not just simply, okay, men, you need sex. And now you need to learn how to control that need for sex. That I don't see as the real answer. I think what actually needs to happen is a man needs to integrate those masculine desires to actually embrace it and go, yeah, I actually, I'm a man. I'm loaded with testosterone. I find women attractive. I am sexually attracted to women 19 times a day, minimum. As long as all my parts are working and I'm a functional man, this is how I'm wired. Does that make me a monster? No, it makes me a man. That's how I'm wired. Some women are very wired like that. Some women are not, but men are, or they're liars. I'm, the majority I've talked to, it's like either you own that you are, or you're denying that you are, which actually makes you a much more dangerous man, Yeah. which is most Christian men, because we've been beaten over the head. I mean, mm. this is the thing. They, That's the, right there. Yeah. The purity culture affected women and made them angry at men. Yeah. The purity culture affected men and made them angry at God. Mm. God made you fucked up. God mm. made you with these raging needs and no outlet. You're a 17 year old man who will just, you know, put it in anything, you know, and yet you have no outlet until you get married and you marry this woman and then she won't do what you want her to do. And she's not taking care of you. And you're like, God, you're a jerk. Like, why did you make me this way? <laughs> So we write books about it. <laughs> so now I have to use God's verses to fix the problem, which is <laughs> because of the problem he gave me. Oh, Men are angry yeah. at God for making wow. it this way and then feeling shame about how we're wired because women are angry at us that we're wired this way. And so it was such a huge shift in actually coming to embrace my masculinity to go, there's not, there's not something evil about being sexually attracted to women. Being uh, that, not the same as lust. 
And yes. those categories, I know you touched on this a little bit with Bethany, yeah. they're so far apart. You know, yeah. Kenneth, Kenneth Hagen used to have a saying that, you know, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. And that concept there of, you know, actually lusting is a proactive thing that you're actually having the bird build a nest in your hair is very different than, yeah, I had these thoughts fly over. Like there goes a, a hot chick walking down the sidewalk. Of course, you want to turn your head and go, wow, that's beautiful. When I see a sunset, I go, wow, that's beautiful. When I see the ocean, I go, wow, that's beautiful. Like there's attraction that's natural and that's not lust. And yet we we put it all under the same thing, make it all shameful, make it all dark and evil. And that's part of our emasculation of men. Generally speaking, inside the church, we've emasculated men and we've tried to oppress women. We're scared of their femininity and the, the sensuality and all the, the juicy flow of the feminine. And we're so terrified of that. And yeah. on the masculine side, we're just terrified. Like, if we actually let you be a man, you're going to, like, kill and rape everybody. And it's like, we've totally warped both of these instead of yeah. letting both embrace who they actually who are. Who they are. This is like my favorite rant ever right now. I have to say that. <laughs> like, it's so true, though, because we what we've done, and it's not just the church. It's like culturally now the feminist movement has this reaction of like demonizing masculinity. It's toxic. Everything is toxic masculinity. And it's like, no, there's healthy, godly, strong masculinity of men who are not ashamed of how God made them, who've reconciled within themselves. Like, yes, I am attracted to women, but I am also a protector of women. I'm not going to abuse them. I'm not going to control them. And my role as a man is to come alongside and empower. And so we've just done such a disservice to both in demonizing masculinity and making them bad. And that has gotten filtered down to women that we view men as bad and abusers. And of course there are, and I think we're seeing more men in this talk that truly are manipulative, abusive, because they believe it. They believe the lies that purity culture and, and the culture around us and the feminists are telling them that you're a problem. You're a, you're bad for being a man. Like you're just, you're doomed. And so we see all this, like men, I think, trying to understand and reconcile who they really are and going through these identity shifts. And I see now, and it's actually encouraging, I'm seeing this resurgence of like strong, healthy masculinity where the men are like pushing back going, no, that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not who you say I am. In fact, I'm going to real, I'm going to embrace my manhood. Tell us like what the bulletproof husband and like what that revelation was like for you when you learned to embrace your masculinity. Yeah. I, I think, you know, my heart goes out to the, the men who've written those angry middle-aged white men books, because I can relate to that feeling. I was there at one point and it, when you don't embrace your masculinity and you try to control and get your needs met, cause you think you have needs in this kind of way, that's a huge undercurrent of covert narcissism, which is a huge problem in church leadership. And it was it was the problem in my life. And one of the foundational cracks I had was that I thought I needed certain things and I needed attention and I needed praise and I needed affirmation and I needed all this stuff. 
You were and, sucking the life out of us all. Yeah, it's like I have a hole in my bucket and the only solution is to keep filling the bucket. And like, no, 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 no. You've got to deal with the hole and then you're in the bucket. Clean. Like you're you're okay. But I just kept trying to fill my bucket. And to actually get in and deal with the holes in the bucket was life-changing. But, you know, some of it, we were just talking about the embracing, whether it's on, for your listeners, primarily embracing the feminine, but I, 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 and maybe you could speak to this more, but I would say that you felt safer when I actually owned my masculine desires, which sounds so counterintuitive to the men who are living with all this shame in their thinking of like, if I actually said that I love such and such, I'm pretty sure my wife would freak out. She'd be so scared. And she would think, you know, every, you know, if I said, oh, I like uh, Kim Kardashian booty, every time I see a woman walk by with a big booty, I, you know, she's going to be looking at me sideways and thinking, you know, Argh. this is the way guys are thinking, because we're afraid that we're going to make our wife angry and upset at us. And so we aren't honest and we don't actually own these things. You might remember this better than I do, but I just had this experience. I was driving along and I had my windows down. And I was blasting some loud rock music as I do when you and the kids are not in the car and I'm <laughs> driving fast down the highway and something came over me this moment of like feeling like I'm embracing uh, a part more a part of who I am. And so I just start yelling in the car. I'm like, I love loud rock music. I love being in a mosh pit. I love fighting. I love martial arts. I love action movies. I love titties. I love, and I'm just shouting all these things. And it <laughs> felt like connecting for me. And I came home and I shared that with you. And which even just sharing that with you in the past would have been a scary thing to say. And yet it felt like I could share this. And you were like, that's awesome. <laughs> like it, well, how did that land for you? I, I was so happy for you, honestly. Like, I was like, I love that you are connecting to your masculinity and integrating and like owning the fact that you as a man love titties, that you love action movies that you, and you are like, not ashamed of it because you were, that was during the time you were in this process of this healing journey of coming out of narcissism and manipulation and shame, tons of toxic shame from church culture and your childhood. And the fact that you could be that vocal about it, like I could see the freedom and acceptance in your eyes and in your voice as you owned that. And then it was like, we just laughed because I was like, we were like delighting in it. Like, yes, yes, you do freaking love these things. You're, you're a man. And it was, it was hot. I was like, Good. Thank you for saying it out loud. Like what we all know, <laughs> like, phew, now we got that off the table. Let, now we can move forward. Go, let's do this. <laughs> it's it's crazy how much all this stuff like stays hidden as if that's going to solve something. And it's like, aren't guys are supposed to be wired to actually like this? Like, I, I, I haven't met a man who's like, you know, I don't like sex. You know, I just, it's so annoying. I so don't like it. Like, <laughs> no, every guy I know wants more of it. So, you know, but to come from this place of shame and hiddenness and we can't be honest and we can't be open. And this is where most men are living because of, you know, culture, church, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so much to that. 
But, you know, one of the things that I realized that I learned from the program that helped me was the different way that men and women feel love. And for a man, love feels like acceptance. And so even accepting myself or being able to share myself and feel accepted, like, I'm not scared of you, that you're wired this way. And I love that you're accepting yourself and I accept you as a man. That's a huge feeling. To feel accepted as a man is a huge feeling of love. Mm -hmm. To feel safety is the feeling of love for a woman. You feel more and more safe, then you feel more and more love. You feel more protected. It makes you yeah. feel more valued. Which so, is what Bethany and I have talked a lot about, that uh, that feeling of emotional safety for a woman is like her number one need to have sex, to actually, mm. uh, uh, you know, have the act of sex and lovemaking that, that first we have to feel emotionally safe. And the and act of lovemaking for a man makes him feel accepted. As a result, it's on the other side. Mm. Well, and, and there's a piece too. You were asking me, we were talking before this about the concept of um, even like why men cheat. And I think one of the things that leads a man's heart away is if he doesn't feel accepted by his wife, then he goes somewhere that he does feel accepted, even though it might be something really toxic. It could be a strip club. It could be an escort. It could be, uh, you know, somebody who works with him, but he goes to a place he feels love because he feels accepted right where he's at. And so when he can actually embrace himself and accept himself then he can lead the relationship to a place where there's acceptance. But it's yeah, and I think that's really important that what you just said, and I feel like our listeners are going to brush over that because it could sound like you're saying, well, if a man doesn't feel accepted, he'll go have an affair. So the woman has to accept him. But what you actually said was, so a man has to learn how to accept himself first and then yeah, lead yeah. his wife into a, a place where she accepts him too, which is completely different the starting point has to be her feeling the safety first before yeah. she accepts. Yeah. yeah. And what men have, and what the whole of Christian culture has done is put the cart before the horse and said, women, you have to accept your husband and respect your husband and have sex with your husband and submit your husband before you ever feel emotional safety, before your husband ever owns his responsibility to serve and love and protect and make you feel emotionally safe. And we've done the opposite. Because we have no value for making a woman feel safe because we don't understand what emotional abuse is in the church. And yeah. so instead we just assume I'm not beating you. So you're safe. Right. And since that's our level of understanding yep. safety inside the church culture, we don't even think about my wife needs to feel safe. We don't even know that there's no connection point for that. And if you could actually start with, as a man, I'm going to accept myself first, deal with whatever those holes in my bucket are, accept myself, then I can lead her to safety, and then she will bring acceptance to me. That's third. That's down the road. We've got the whole thing backwards. We don't accept ourselves. We're loaded with shame. We don't understand bringing her safety, but we demand acceptance and respect. Yeah. And it's like... This is insane. This is like, which further breaks down trust and makes us feel less emotionally safe when it's demanded of us, when it hasn't, when trust hasn't actually been earned yet. So this is, this is like the process we went through that completely healed our marriage after you were unfaithful, pursuing other women, had an emotional affair, toxic 
true toxic masculinity. Like, yes, it's real. <laughs> you were doing yeah. it. You, you, that was the epitome of our, our relationship was riddled with toxic masculinity and emotional abuse and stonewalling and manipulation and gaslighting. And these, th- what you're talking about right now literally healed our marriage because you took the ownership on yourself to first heal yourself and your shame and, and fill those holes in your bucket with self-acceptance and going to God to get those needs met. Cause even, like you say, like sex isn't a need, but I, I wanted to like play devil's advocate earlier and be like, okay, but what about just love? Like we are humans and we are built and created with this need for love. And if we don't have that secure in ourself from God and self-acceptance and self-love, then we try to steal it and suck it from other people to get those that need met for love and acceptance when really like we can become whole in ourselves first. And that's what you did that led me to a place of trusting you and opening my heart to you again. And that process took, you know, a year or, or so, but it was this, and it's just, it was just this beautiful unfolding of seeing a man go from actual toxic masculinity and victim mindedness to self-love and acceptance. And there were a lot of things you had to process to get that self-acceptance because there were a lot of horrible things you did to break my trust and others' trust. So that was a long journey. And then as you accepted yourself, you led me to a place of being able to release my pain and then seeing you as as safe. And because you showed up in a safe way day after day, it wasn't just like one thing you did or said like, oh, he took out the trash or, oh, he kept his word that one time. You know, like men think you do one thing and then you remind her of it. And suddenly she's supposed to trust you. And when, when there's been 10 years of breaking trust, like, no, you had to show up as that solid masculine man day in and day out for months consistently before I even started to open my heart to you again and trust you again. But then I began to realize like, oh, he is changing. He is becoming solid. He is becoming whole. He is becoming the man I've always prayed for and dreamed of having. I think that's the strong word for any woman who's in a similar situation is wait until you actually feel that safety and the trust is really rebuilt before you give out acceptance. When you're giving acceptance and you don't feel safe, you're actually leading him on to think, okay, I'm good. I'm done. I finished. That's a word for someone. (laughs) And there's, there's so many women that we watched it so many times with other people. We know the husband started to change and pulled all her boundaries down. They start having sex again. He moves back home, all that stuff. And he never finished the actual change process. He didn't go all the way that he needed to. He got his acceptance and then he stopped his transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes toxic again, unless you keep those boundaries up in the right, that the right level, I mean, take them down where you, where you start to feel safe, but, but don't take them down prematurely. Cause you know, this is, that's so hard. It's so hard. Cause as a woman, you want to believe in your man. And I get yeah. that. What you do you want, want these women to know right now that are in these toxic relationships struggling to know what boundaries do I put up? How do I know when to accept him and open my heart? And how do I know when to say, no, this is not acceptable and put up a boundary, whether that means a separation or, or something else, a physical boundary. Your boundary is not going to kill him. If he has to wait an extra month or two months or whatever, for however long it takes till you feel safe, 
make the longer term choice for your kids. Think about the example you're setting for them of how you would want your daughter to be treated by her future husband. How would you want your son to treat his future wife? And when you can actually think long-term like that and not think in terms of, you know, he's pressuring me. Okay, if he's pressuring you to come home, he hasn't gotten to the point of being safe yet because he still doesn't recognize why he was separated from you, why you put him out, why you put him out of the bedroom. Until, you know, one of the early shifts needs to be the shift of, thank you for kicking me out. I recognize I need to go change. I am an asshole. Like that should be that right there. And instead of like, I'm angry at you, I'm blaming you. I'm a victim of you kicking me out. Like, yeah. Trying to like argue over who shares responsibility for the disconnection and it's 50, 50. And well, I, yeah, I made mistakes, but you did too. And how are you getting help? And who are you seeing for your healing? I'm doing all the, like, I, I heard that from you a lot at the beginning. And I hear that from every man of these women that are walking through this too. And this is what I tell them until your man thanks you for the slap. Thanks you for the boundary. Thanks you for the separation because it brought clarity and it, and it led him to his healing journey. He hasn't done any, he hasn't done the work yet until he's thanking you for it. That's a sign he's on the right path. That's a sign he's, he's, I I wouldn't say that's a sign he's completely healed, but that's a sign he's starting to see things clearly for sure. That's stage one. It should be. And it's, it's really, I mean, you think about a 400 pound man uh, who has a heart attack and then loses, you know, 250 pounds. He can look back and say, I am thankful for that heart attack. It was a wake up call that saved my life. Yes. That's what we're talking about. But when, you know, he stays 400 pounds, he's just angry that his heart punched him in the chest. Like that man hasn't changed. He's still, <laughs> he's still pounding whoppers at the gas station. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of different things. I mean, it, we can go down a lot of these roads, but I think one of the things that was really helpful for me as a man, because some of these pictures, like there's so many blogs and YouTubes and podcasts and materials out there that women get a hold of and they learn this lingo, like your man is stonewalling or he's gaslighting you or he's emotionally abusive. And a man hears this and they're like, I don't know what half of these terms mean. And some of them seem way more harsh, like emotionally abusive. Are you kidding me? Like most guys don't have a clue what you're talking about. And so there's this natural pushback that happens But that was one of the things that was so helpful inside the Bulletproof Husband is the metaphors they use really help you understand as a man the damage you've done. So, for example, um, we we were talking about like rebuilding trust is really what builds that place of a woman feeling safe is not one thing, but it's consistent, solid behavior. And the metaphor they use is the concept of trust like currency. And that you are the, the emotional bank manager. And you're aware that your husband has overdrafted his account by a million dollars. And he is in default. And you're thinking about closing the account. But if you as the husband can actually start to repay that, show up in a way and begin to change your behavior in a way that you actually begin to rebuild trust. Over time, you bring in a check every week, $10,000, $10,000 over and over again, it starts to pay down that trust debt. And most men don't have to pay back the whole million dollars. Usually maybe 
600,000 of it, they, they pay back. And then the bank says, you know what? We're going to forgive the rest of the debt. I see the change. We trust you again. Let's move forward. The unfortunate thing, and this is the, what we were just talking about, is a lot of women, they get the first three $10,000 checks and they go, I forgive the debt. Move back in. We're all good to go. That man did not learn how to manage his trust money very well. And he doesn't know how to actually live this out. He just has paid off enough to rebuild just enough safety for the door to crack open. Just enough to win her back. Yeah. And then he stops. And, and if that's his goal, he's going to fail the long game because his goal has to be his own transformation, not just winning her back, which is just another version of patching his hole, of trying to meet his needs. It's still selfish. It's still not seeing the bigger picture that you have to heal your own bucket and the holes in your bucket, not just do enough to win her back so that then you latch onto her again and she has to keep filling your needs and filling your bucket just for them to spill out again. Yes. And we we challenge men with several things. One is you need to become the man you've always wanted to be. Because men can feel I'm not being the man I've always wanted to be. I'm yeah. I feel all this these feelings that are overwhelming. I feel emasculated. I feel angry. I feel, you know, all this stuff. Um, another one is become the kind of man you'd want your son to be when he grows up or become the kind of man you'd want your daughter to marry. And so those Good. challenges, uh, you know, it, it gets it out of the realm of be the man that your wife wants you to be, which is what a lot of men try to do mm. to win her over. And that's approval seeking pleaser behavior. And then that man doesn't have a spine to ever say, babe, I'm not okay with this or that. It's not acceptable to me. That's yeah. not the man I am. I won't It's just do being that. a nice guy. It is. It's an, it's a no more Mr. Nice guy syndrome. And oh. so- Another good book for the men listening and, and for the men listening, your yeah. woman doesn't want you to be a nice guy. <laughs> right. Be a good man. Be a kind man. Don't be a nice guy. Nice is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Nice <laughs> is fake. Nice is a mask. It's to get approval and people to like you and to be a pleaser. And you're doing that because you're not okay with yourself. And when you're actually okay with yourself, it doesn't matter what other people think about you because you're going to be yourself, period doesn't matter what they think or say or do you're going to be integrous with yourself well I, I wanted to bring it in you know a couple last thoughts here but one is um th this dynamic with the masculine and feminine and we've talked about it from a lot of angles but one of them that I think gets left out quite often is that the masculine is actually inspired by the feminine almost everything the masculine has done like it, it's easy to look at you know, the way the feminist movement sees men nowadays is these oppressive patriarchy and this, this you know, terminology. And it's, I think there's been some podcasters who've done a great job on the masculine side to say, you know, 99% of men are, you know, they're out there picking up garbage in the, the garbage truck at 5 a.m. They're going to the coal mine. They're, they're providing for their family. They're not going into the coal mine thinking, I got to go make some money so I can go home and oppress that bitch. Like, that's not, the man, the man out there, there may be some 1% of men that are oppressing women in a structural way, whether it's politically or the leadership of a church or something like that. But your average man sitting in the pew is just trying to take care of his family, wants to love his kids, wants to love his wife, doesn't really know how to make it all work and feels overwhelmed and feels hated by everybody everywhere. 
currently. That's and how probably people- feels ashamed that he has any sexual desire or any manly urges. <laughs> yes. And like you, you said in your like 99% of men feel like victims of their sex desire, which I think is, is really eye-opening. Yes. Because they're angry at God for wiring them this way. They're not talking with other men. And if they are in any relationship, most men are isolated from other men. But when you actually get men together with men and they can get some level of honesty, maybe they've had a couple beers or something and they finally get honest and they start joking and the humor comes out and you're like, oh yeah, we are actually sexual beings and we don't have to hide this. <laughs> but there's, it takes that much to get a man to actually connect with it because most mm-hmm. men are not integrated with, you are a masculine man, you are wired this way. Yeah, there's there was, still layers of shame there to peel back. Yes, there was a, there was a study where they took, and I know this is more common now, but they had taken uh, men and women and they loaded them up with the opposite hormones of t- testosterone and estrogen. And so they had the women take, you know, and they did this study, they had them take testosterone and the men take estrogen. And then they did a survey and they, they had them journal and write down what they experienced. And mm. for the men who were loaded with estrogen, they were writing down, it's like, there's a rainbow of feelings. I'm crying every day. There's all these feelings. I had no idea there were all these colors. And <laughs> the women who took the testosterone, they're like, I feel angry and horny. And that's it. <laughs> and that was, that was that the, the, fascinating. Talking eye opener for these two, these two wow. you know, tried the difference. Like, yeah, yeah, that's actually most men's feelings most of the day. Like, right, which I feel like is like the one of the main motives of all these men writing these sex books is, is not that they're trying to control women or oppress women. It's that they're trying to communicate and help women understand this is our I'm battle. I'm angry and horny. I'm <laughs> angry and horny. And I want you to understand and have compassion and maybe give me a little bit of sex, please. <laughs> <laughs> And if you don't, and, and here's some verses to tell you why you should, by the way. <laughs> but my, my point that I want to get back to, though, is the masculine is inspired by the feminine. Like we think of Helena of Troy and the famous statement that she was had the beauty that launched a 10,000 ships. Like there's always been, whether it's we're building a temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana, or like we've always put feminine on a pedestal. We've always had a worshipful feel toward the feminine. There's mm-hmm. something I need to go out and provide for my family so that I can feed these little girls so I can feed my wife. I want to take care of her. Like there's a natural part of the masculine that has a worshipful response to the feminine and it's around the world and it's in all the religions, whether you, you go to an, a temple in India and they have women dancers out in front of the temple that dance and they're provocative and they're sensual and they're feminine. Uh, in America, we, we don't have that in any religion in America, but we have strip clubs. And there's the same kind of feeling of a worship toward the feminine. Mm-hmm. And for most guys, they actually, you know, they, they hide it. And so they hide that thing that there's actually a response of, I want to provide for, I want to protect. I want to have this adoration toward the feminine when I see it. And so there's actually this men actually drop into a place of submission in their heart when they're around powerful feminine. They see it and they're like, whoa, you know, and they see some beautiful feminine 
there's that response that's actually submissive on their side because it's so overpowering. Mm. And I don't hear any guys talking about this, but I, I believe wow. it's reality is we have a response to it, that it is, it is something above the natural that we drop into a place of awe over. Oh, yeah. It sounds like admiration, if if not necessarily worship, like you're worshiping a god, but like this deep admiration and inspiration to something that is so beautiful and like different than you, like almost out of touch, like like there's this magicalness to it. <laughs> and I think because it's so powerful, it's terrifying for most men. Yeah. Because where the man is and so they're overwhelmed and so they have to try to control it because they're afraid of that and so they jump into that controlling space instead of I am powerful I'm different and I can admire and I can appreciate that without it blowing me up or or overwhelming me Hmm. and so the powerful dynamic back and forth and so we have these books we've talked about them but I'll reference one in particular every man's battle I believe that every man does have a battle of their masculinity and how they're going to engage with it because every man is a man and they have masculinity and they have to figure out what is my relationship to this masculinity, this nuclear power that got planted in me. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to walk with this out? And one of the things is how is it going to engage with the essence and the power of the feminine? And is it going to control or is it going to adore, appreciate? How is it going to respond to this? And one of the the only practical advice that I remember hearing in that book was when you see an attractive woman, bounce your eyes, meaning like, don't look directly at the sun, you know, like look away. And that was the practical (laughs) advice given to men. So that was like this terrified version of masculinity. Like, don't look directly at her. She'll burn your eye sockets. Yeah, be afraid of your own manhood, basically. And in her power over you. (laughs) Be afraid of of yourself. Yes, you're a victim perpetually. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and yet um, something that hit me, there's a book called The Way of the Superior Man. And he has a section where he explains this this completely different approach. So when What's you the author for those that want to The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Now, David Data, it's not a Christian book, but it's a brilliant, insightful book about masculine and feminine dynamics. It's written for men, but I, I think anybody would get a lot out of it. So one of the things that he gave us a practical exercise is when you see the feminine, if you're a man, you see the feminine, in that moment, take a breath and breathe in that essence of the feminine. So whether you're scrolling on Instagram or you're walking at the gas station or whatever, you see someone attractive and you go, that's all there is to it. You see, I'll look at you. I got this attractive woman right here and I go, I breathe into my heart and I breathe out. And when I release, it's literally the feminine, it's connecting for a moment and letting it go. And it it can take what feels like an overwhelming attraction to the feminine down several notches to, okay. But then you get back to work. You get back on with your life and you actually are inspired by the feminine. Instead of having to actually steal it, control it, lust after it, all of that, you're engaged with it and you move on. And in Mm, the same way- like we do that with, with masculine. You see, I, I see a big masculine action hero guy and I'm like, that's awesome. Usually, you know, there's this 
response and he's you know john wick's killing someone or something and you're like this is awesome and you move on you breathe it in you breathe it out but we don't think about it but with women what men do typically is we and we lock up and we freeze and then we all the shame comes in and the not knowing what to do with this energy not knowing to and we defend and then we get overpowered and we go into lust and it just breaks men down and instead of I can actually stand in, you know, if I'm standing in front of a sunset at a beach and the sun's going down and I go, wow. Wow. Yeah. Like I move sunset. on, but I don't have to be like sunset, sunset, sunset. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not fighting it. Yeah. I'm actually embracing this yeah. is part of the creation. This is beautiful. And then I move yeah. on. Yeah. And that, that in and I love that so part. much. You're like embracing the beauty and the creation of the feminine and appreciating it. And you're also embracing your manhood that is attracted to it and without trying to suppress it or shame it or control it. That's like revolutionary, probably for most men. I I share it with men all the time. And it's the most practical thing I've ever come across. And, And it's so they can, they can do it immediately. I mean, they can go on, on social media and scroll for 30 seconds and be like, Oh my gosh, it works. <laughs> it's like <laughs> practical. Um, yeah. And then the, the other thing we uh, just want to touch on one final thought was, uh, so I had taken a course, you mentioned this in one of your podcasts that I took some courses that really helped me uh, in embracing my, my masculinity and sexuality and all of that. And some of that was bulletproof husband. That was, that was especially for fixing our marriage and masculinity but there was another course that I took for uh, sex that was super helpful. And one of the things that the teacher in that course talked about was mindful masturbation versus mindless masturbation. And I wanted to bring this clarity because I know you've, you've talked about this in one of your episodes and it's, uh, it's such a challenging concept, especially for Christians. The idea is like, well, you can't masturbate without lusting. And that's right. definitely our Christian idea. Yeah, that episode is one of our most controversial episodes, mostly by people who didn't actually listen to the episode. They like to comment on it. <laughs> I couldn't listen to such an evil podcast. So, I I, yeah. but at the same time, you know, the the, the that differentiation between mindful and mindless, uh, the and lust and attraction is, yeah. I think, yes. really important. <laughs> Not the same. <laughs> yes, I feel like we've touched on that some, yeah. but the, the concept. Um, the teacher, what they had uh, the students do in this course was actually practice. And I've seen this in a few men's books. No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover is a Christian book that I highly recommend. Um, there are very few that I do, but that one I do. And uh, he talks about the same concept too. As a man, now I don't know how this works for women, so I'm just speaking for the masculine side, to actually try masturbating your eyes open, even looking in a mirror at yourself is what the teacher challenged us with and not leaving in your head. Cause this is what guys do. We go into fantasy mode and we leave our body. We leave the present moment. We connect with the video, the porn, the whatever. And we're actually leaving our body to connect in our head with this imagery and fantasize and leave that's mindless masturbation. And it's literally an escape versus actually be present with yourself, your own physical body by yourself and connect with yourself 
And every guy I know that's tried this is said it is super freaking hard because for years we have just ingrained lust with masturbation instead of masturbation without lust. You're just literally you and your own physical body. Like it's your body. It's your physical body. And if you're not lusting and you're not going into your head and fantasizing all that stuff, you're not doing something wrong. And breaking that pattern for men, it's such a huge shift. Hmm. And they can get to that place. They can actually show up in the marriage in a way that's more present. Because that's a challenge for a lot of women when they come together is he's not present. He's here. We're having sex. And he feels a thousand miles away. Why? Because he spent decades training himself in his brain to go somewhere else. And he has to do that because he's trained it that way instead of, no, he's completely here. I don't know what happened. Well, he actually learned how to connect with himself without leaving his body behind. And now he shows up differently in a marriage bed together. So that's a great tip for men. And I think that what, when you're saying this, I think it's interesting because as a woman, masturbation, I think is different. It looks different. Like I, I might even say like, I'm, when I'm more connected to myself, it's easier to feel my body, to embody my body, to embody those sensations. And it's actually harder, I think, for a woman to masturbate when she's disconnected from her body. And that being connected and fully present with ourselves is how we get in the mood very often. Wow. And, and you remind me all the time, like when we're intimate, you'll be like, you're in your head. <laughs> and I know I'm in my head because I'm talking too much. I'm thinking of my to-do list. I'm thinking of, oh, what about this and this? And let's have a conversation about that. And you're like, <laughs> you do you don't actually say go anywhere until <laughs> this doesn't back. work until you are in your body and and for women that is I think what we naturally do I just I find it so interesting that for men it's like that you're having to retrain years of programming and probably maybe this isn't just a man thing maybe this is just the effects of pornography on a generation that we have programmed our neurology and our nervous system to escape reality and get turned on by a fake external, you know, image or visual of something and create fantasies with it. But when we actually disconnect our brains from that toxic influence and learn to be present, we can experience so much deeper levels of intimacy and orgasm and love that is really beautiful for both men and women. There's a movie from years ago I think it's called American Beauty. And there's a, when very early in the movie, uh, the main husband character in the movie is in the shower. And you can tell he's in the shower, he's masturbating, and you hear the narrating voice of him. And he's saying, This right here, this three minutes is the best part of my day before I get on with my miserable shit life. And he moves on into his wife is angry at him, his kids are horrible, his job, his employer, like everything in his life is sucks is terrible the whole movie is like a train wreck but that for men in so many ways sex porn leaving it is this escape into a moment of feeling that acceptance that feels like love and that that pleasure that feels like an escape from their mundane painful shame-filled hated by everyone existence and it just captured it really well in the movie that I think any guy watching is like, 
I understand what he's saying, mm -hmm. even if it's not their experience, but it's understandable to men. And yeah. that, so yeah, it's very different, I think. And I've been curious about that, like for men versus for women that, yeah, I think, I think you said it well, like a woman actually needs to connect more with her body if she's going to masturbate. And a man, it's like, I left my body. I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> Out of body experience. But but I I would bet you that women who've struggled with pornography, which hasn't been my experience, but if if they have, they probably have a similar struggle of disconnecting. I know when Bethany and I talked about it, she very much could probably relate to what you're saying because she was having she was masturbating disconnected and it was filled with lust and you know pornography. But when she started sinking into her body, it changed everything for her, and that was what she explained. So I think it. It's also true that this also affects women too, in the way you're saying, but more so for men, probably just because they struggle with pornography to higher rates. But what I want you to just kind of bring this in for landing and summarize for us, like what it has, what has it been like for you? What has been the biggest change, the biggest revelation as a man learning to take responsibility for your masculinity? How has that impacted your relationship to yourself? your mental health, our marriage, our sex life, like what has been the biggest takeaway for you and breakthrough for you in this journey? There were so many different holes in my bucket that I struggled with. Um, we call them bullets in the program and you get a bullet hole from your, your pain in your childhood. And one bullet hole that I had was that I would feel weak. I'd feel emasculated in response to, we'd argue about something and I felt emasculated and weak. Another one was I'd feel like a loser, the loser bullet. Um, and the loser bullet was driving me to be successful. And I have to write all these books and travel the world and be whatever, because I, I have to fight the feeling of deep inside, I feel like a loser. Or the stupid bullet, I have to get a doctorate and I have to know everything and be smarter than everybody else. And I was driven by that because in deep inside, I felt stupid. Or the evil bullet, I have to put on this perfectionism and show that I have no mistakes, no problems, no mess in my life, veneer for everybody, facade, because deep down inside, I actually feel evil and shame-filled. So masculinity and integrating with myself actually clears up all of that, where are there moments I'm weak? Yeah, there's people that are more strong than I am, but do I feel that I am a weak person? No, I'm actually super strong. And to, am I a loser because I don't do whatever? No, I'm, I'm, I'm solid with myself. I love the choices I make. Am I stupid? No. Am I very smart? Yes. But do I have to compete over it? No. All that ego stuff gets set aside. And the evil one, I, I saved that for last, the, the thought there, you made a statement that was so helpful for me in the journey of I, women are not looking for a perfect man. They're looking for a responsible man. Yeah. That shift was so huge because, and whether it was my Christianity or whether it was my own family upbringing, but the idea of perfectionism and everything looking perfect all the time is so different than the masculine because the masculine can own like, I, I made a mess. I made a mistake. I, you know, I, I made it this or that. Like they can own the fact that they make mistakes by being responsible though they're responsible but they don't have to be perfect yeah the man who's always trying to be perfect is trying to get approval and please everybody make everybody happy with him he's walking on eggshells and he feels constantly under threat and 
and like he's going to be emasculated which was describes our marriage perfectly for the first 15 years <laughs> yeah both of us would have said have said that we feel like we're walking on eggshells you didn't feel mm. safe i yep. didn't feel safe yeah. and it's crazy because how many how many guys i talk to that feel like they're walking on eggshells and the wife feels exactly the same mm. but it's, it's it's very common that both feel that and it's easy to think well he's emotionally abusive he must not feel that way. No, deep inside, he knows he's not okay. Yeah. So being responsible replaced the burden of being perfect. Yeah. And I think seeing a man clean up his mess and own it and be responsible speaks volumes and builds more trust than if he was perfect and never made a mistake from the beginning. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know because our listeners are going to ask if, if, a uh, husband or a man wants to work with you, <laughs> where can they find you? Yeah, the um, the best way to uh, find out more about Bulletproof Husband, because that's that's the way to connect with me, uh, is Bulletproof, D-O-C-J-O-N.com, DocJohn.com. That's what they call me. I got a nickname in the group, but BulletproofDocJohn.com. <laughs> is where you can find out more information about the program and I'm on all the socials and stuff you can find you can find me out there that's awesome we'll put that in the show notes Jonathan thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your side of the story because it's I shared my side but I wanted our listeners to hear from you what it what it was like for you and we may go into it more in future episodes but um it's just so refreshing to hear the man's perspective because you have such great insight into these things and as a witness it has completely these 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 this program and what you're talking about your your teaching here and your insights here have completely transformed our marriage 180 degrees like and i i can't say highly enough how this program and and this transformation that i've witnessed you do has has saved our marriage and so I fully endorse it. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. And we will see you guys next week on her Sacred Sexuality Podcast.